0: 80 million people. This is a huge population that depends on library broadband.
1: Hi there, this is the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. In this episode Christopher Mitchell connects with Don Means, coordinator of the Gigabit Libraries Network. This past summer, GLN implemented a pilot project to improve access to library Wi-Fi. Each community submitted ideas designed to use white space Spectrum to extend the reach of the library's Wi-Fi. Whitespace Spectrum was traditionally used to send television signals, but digital television changed all that. As a result, Whitespace Spectrum has been freed up. The six communities chosen for the pilot project are living laboratories. As Don notes in the interview, local entities, such as libraries, are the perfect place for experimentation. This pilot project will help us learn to push the envelope on white space technology. In addition to providing better access to their local communities, these library experiments are helping us learn the limits of the approach. Here are Don and Chris talking about the Gigabit Libraries Network's white space pilot project.
2: Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Don Means, the coordinator of the Gigabit Libraries Network. Welcome to the show, Don. Thank you, Chris. Don, I guess uh, I think a good question to start off with would be, you know, who are you and why do you love libraries so much?
0: <laughs> uh, that's not a trick question, Chris. Certainly not. The Gigabit Libraries Network is, a, uh, is an initiative uh, that grew out of the Fiber to the Library project, which we initiated uh, in 07. Uh, the idea that uh, connecting all of the nation's 16,000-plus libraries with uh, next-generation broadband as the quickest, least expensive, and certainly most equitable way to deliver that kind of capability in every community just dawned on us uh, – Uh, as the most efficient uh, approach to to build out and as a way to serve the greatest number of people. Uh, I think it's uh, it's always uh, amazing to uh, get reactions from people when they hear how many people access the Internet at at a library. That number is uh, something around 80 million people a fourth of the entire population. This is a huge population that depends on uh, library uh, broadband. And most libraries would report having inadequate bandwidth to to support user demand. And that's a mix, of course, of uh, both the fixed workstations in the libraries uh, combined with open Wi-Fi hotspots. I think 90% of the libraries are, are supposed to offer uh, Internet access through through Wi-Fi. So we've been working that and, and working with others towards that general goal to advocate for connectivity to anchor institutions to serve the greatest number
2: of people. Aside from the fact that almost every community has a library uh, and, uh, and are familiar with it, and it has this historical role in the community, are there other reasons that a library should play this role? Well,
0: sure. Uh, You know, this is uh, this is a kind of a running debate is uh, what, you know, what is a library? What should a library be? What is uh, what is a library in the digital era? They remain extremely popular with 55 to 60 percent of the general population being active library users, you know, holding library cards. Uh, this surprises a lot of people, also that 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 aren't uh, frequent library users. I, I find that uh, a lot of uh, technologists just don't get libraries. You know, well, listen. If I got a question, I Google it, and if I want a book, I one-click at Amazon. So, you know, what's the point? Well. This is this is not the, this is not the general view, I should say.
2: Right, I would say that you know that may have been the view of some of my friends who were we were the uh, sort of the edge of digital natives, maybe. Um, but you know, as soon as any of them had children, it wasn't very long before they realized one of the really important roles of a library. I mean, they love taking their children there, finding books that they like. They end up finding books that they themselves want. I mean, it's, it's incredible to see um, how I think a library can really help people that have children in particular.
0: It's key, and I think most, uh, most young parents' uh, strategies for, for introducing their children to uh, the world of, of reading and literature uh, and, and also culture. I mean, uh, uh, libraries are, uh, they're definitely under pressure, as I think every institution is under pressure because of the, the, the changes that digital technologies have brought to us, not to mention budgetary pressures in the, in the public sector. But libraries are busy accommodating the demands for, uh, services that people want, and they can, they can do pretty much whatever their community wants them to do. Unlike the other institutions which have fairly specific charters, schools, health facilities, and so forth, uh, libraries are quote essentially local and community uh, institutions and really can be as flexible uh, as their community wants them to be and playing this role of, of, of community center of uh, community laboratory, which is one of the one of the areas we think there's a lot of potential for for libraries to act as early adopters and, and kind of testing grounds for emerging technologies.
2: One of the things that you're working on with libraries is these white spaces, um, this, uh, this idea of this new way of using radio signals to transmit information. Um, let's start with just a very brief explanation of, of what the white spaces are and how you're using them.
0: So-called TV white spaces are uh, part of the uh, radio spectrum, which have become open or available for other uses than traditional TV broadcasts. This is in the the, the UHF, VHF uh, zones uh, because of the conversion to digital TV. So uh, in this process, a long process, uh, the FCC decided that some of this bandwidth would be set aside for unlicensed use, shared open use, which is the way Wi-Fi uh, basically works. Nobody, nobody owns Wi-Fi frequencies. The, the the devices, the radios you acquire, they just are tuned to those frequencies, and and, and it's just a, a shared uh, range of of uh, spectrum. TV white spaces. Uh, are similar, but uh, they have different properties. It's lower frequency, uh, which means that it has the capability to travel long distances, you know, miles, and it also has penetrative capabilities, and it can pass through obstructions, trees, buildings, and even over hills to some extent. So the TV White Space Project, the library uh, pilot that the gig Libraries. Uh, has initiated is really about how combining these two, uh, open unlicensed technologies, which, for which no fees are required and no permissions are required, how those two can be married together to deliver library Wi-Fi, to deliver that same, uh, service, uh, access to digital services through uh, Wi-Fi in remote places. Right now, these, uh, tens of millions of people that access the internet uh, through library Wi-Fi have to go to the facility itself. And so this project works by allowing the, the library to act as a base station using this TV white space uh, equipment to then communicate to uh, a number of remote library hotspots in typically in public, publicly accessible places. This is not about muni Wi-Fi. This is This is the library using this new technology to extend what is one of their basic services, is Wi-Fi access, uh, to more places in their community, make it more convenient.
2: For people who want a little bit more information, I'd recommend uh, going back and looking at uh, Dwayne Hendricks and my discussions. Uh, We talk a lot about different kinds of wireless, and I think he did a great job introducing it. Um, But for people who want to go a little bit deeper, that's a, a place to to jump in now. You, you've, you've described how the, the libraries are using this, and um, what, I, what I heard you say is that the libraries aren't really trying to blanket the entire community with uh, access. It's more of a targeted kind of deployment. Is that, am I understanding that correctly?
0: That is correct, Chris. Uh, it may be a facility uh, that is a bit remote. It may be a community center. It may actually be a library uh that is that doesn't have a robust uh connection, many libraries are out there running on T one lines
2: one and a half megabits
0: one and a half megabit connections um, and uh white space the the trade off of this uh, uh this long range and penetrative capability is that it doesn't carry as much data as higher frequency wireless. There's a lot of wireless out there, and most of it is line of sight. So two antennas that can actually see each other uh, can transmit data in these higher frequencies at higher data rates. Well, the problem with high frequency is that it is easy to interfere with. It. So if you can't actually see each other, if you don't have a line of sight connection, then they, they don't work.
2: Which can be really difficult in uh, rural areas or areas that have a, a, a you know, the, the more beautiful areas where you have those rolling hills and things like that.
0: And distance also. It's limited by distance, so they can't travel that far. Right. Uh, as well. So these are, this uh, white space is uh, uh, sometimes called the beachfront uh, <laughs> spectrum. It's, it's highly desirable, it's very valuable in the market. Uh, And yet the FCC has declared that some of this spectrum will be set aside for this specific use. The process has been going on for, I don't know, as long as 10 years. And in the last few years, these decisions have been made, but the need to certify the equipment, that it doesn't interfere with other, you know, like broadcast devices, uh, has to uh, be proven. And that's what's been going on. And so the, the, the technology is generally not quite yet available in the commercial market. So what that's created for us is an opening to run tests, run trials, which require exemptions from the FCC. This started as a, a conversation in Kansas City, Kansas, where one of their five library branches is a learning library, uh, out by a lake. And it's not that far by, uh, by direct line by uh, as, as the crow flies, but it's a long way around if you're going to run a wire. And so very expensive to upgrade that. This uh, library is a great place for these virtual field trips, but they only have a T1 connection. So Carol Levers, the librarian there, said, well, what can we do about this uh, This one library? So we started talking about wireless solutions. TV Space was just coming out into the into the news at the time and said, let's, let's see if we can do an experiment. Uh, working with the New America Foundation and, uh, uh, and one of the leading vendors, uh, we put a, prog- a pilot program together, announced it in early May, and had a lot of interest from people. Uh, we then went to the vendors, more of the vendors, and asked if they'd be willing to put systems out on a trial basis, which they thought this was a good idea. And so we did an open call to participate the 1st of July and had nearly 60 proposals come in, which we sorted through and accepted six of those by the end of August. Libraries in in uh, every region of the country, in, uh, in Illinois and Colorado and New Hampshire, Kansas, Mississippi, uh, and California, did I mention Colorado? Two of those were statewide consortia, which we didn't really anticipate. But the state librarian in Kansas uh, proposed a statewide pilot. We ended up uh, accepting proposals from four libraries in Kansas, so that's that's the, the biggest of the uh, of the pilot groups so far. And those are um, all in deployment now and running
2: you had six different consortium or six different entities, effectively, and some of those entities had multiple locations within their pilot project.
0: Yes, New Hampshire and Kansas were multi-library uh, consortia. Uh, Kansas Consortia is not only a consortium of public libraries, but of uh, uh, partnering with uh, uh, schools and universities, uh, so-called K-20 uh, library and uh, White Space Consortium, and so these are different cases where, uh, for one reason or another, it's advantageous to locate a uh, either a base station or a remote at a school or a university because perhaps the uh, it's a superior uh, site. You know, it has some elevation, or or maybe superior backhaul. Uh, that was one of the, one of the things that we were encouraging were, were consortia use. We're, we're strong believers in, in libraries and librarians across the different, uh, categories as natural collaborators in a local community that the school, academic, and public librarians are natural cohorts to, uh, uh, help bridge these, uh, these institutions, you know, for the common goal and support of lifelong learning. So that wasn't a requirement, but we did provide we did give extra credit where we saw those kinds of collaborations. Similar kind of thing in Pascagoula, Mississippi, where the, the school district is hosting the base station and and uh and delivering uh, connectivity to some of their libraries. They're uh paying these enormous fees for P1 lines and able to upgrade those. You know, there's no fees involved in using White space technology—it's just simply some devices that you plug and play. Now, the base station needs to have some kind of backhaul if you're going to connect to the internet, and that's usually a, uh, uh, you know, a wireline.
2: It's nice to have something where you have a known fee, and you don't have to worry that the end of the first year you're suddenly going to see your prices skyrocket because. Um, It's kind of in some ways like solar energy, where once you put the device on the roof, it collects energy, and you don't have to worry that the price of sunlight is going to go up.
0: (laughs) It's interesting you say that, because in a lot of these trials, and these trials are happening all over the world, uh, but in a lot of these trials, they are very remote places, and they are powering these, uh, these radios with solar panels.
2: Oh, we just spoke with um, uh, Matthew Rantanen from Southern uh, California where he has a wireless network that's powered in many locations by uh, solar arrays. There you go. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a final question, which is, um, you know, as you've, you've been in this trial now for a little while, has there been any surprises or unanticipated outcomes that, that you'd like to share with us?
0: We had a number of surprises. Uh, one, we were surprised. And ourselves for initiating uh, such a project in the middle of summer, around a technology that nobody's ever heard of, and that it has so much interest in.
2: It is ambitious.
0: And, well, we had so much response, and I guess this is just from people who have their sort of their ears tuned to to things that are that are happening. And uh, and then the other was that we had this basic idea uh, that. The, the library would be the natural base station and there would be multiple remotes in their community to these different places and not so much that it might be, you know, the reverse, that the library might be the remote uh, and someone else might be hosting a base station. But the point of that is that uh, that what the, the user sees is library Wi-Fi. And we we're encouraging all these uh, uh, participants to create a splash page that that explains what it is that's happening and, and to help the community understand how this is delivered. Uh, we're, we're encouraging that. The other were different ideas for where to locate these remotes. So one proposal was to, you know, use a post office. There are a lot of uh, rural post offices, which are, you know, their facilities, their secure facilities with, with parking lots. You know the story uh, everybody tells about rural libraries leaving their access points open Wi-Fi hotspots open during the evening and people drive over and park outside the building to connect to it and download their mail or, or whatever other uh, content. So why not have places that are more convenient for people to do at least that? Uh, another idea that we hadn't expected was to put these on bookmobiles. Now, a point to say here is yeah. that uh, the white space is not uh, currently seen as mobile mobile wireless technology but uh, a bookmobile is what we we would call nomadic fixed so it's it's a movable remote site but it's it's stationary at the point where you know it's it's connecting so uh, a mobile hotspot for a bookmobile looks like a killer app It's just one uh, that that has come
2: up and that's one in particular where almost any other solution i mean you certainly could never do a wired solution for that, so almost any other solution would require an ongoing fee and using a licensed spectrum most likely
0: a- absolutely and that's assuming that you could even get you know three g or four g services out in a in a particular rural area and and we all know what what those kinds of services cost, so yeah, there is no wire solution for a for a mobile site. Uh, Another mobile uh, application uh, is in the area of uh, uh, disaster uh, preparedness and recovery. The pilot in Mississippi is along the Gulf Coast, and that was what attracted us to their proposal was that they wanted to create a, a system that was ready to respond to the next one, which they know is coming and uh, having these uh, uh, mobile units that they can deploy in the case of a disaster, it couldn't be more valuable. Uh, you know, when you look at it in the future, well, yeah, everything is fine today. The sun is out. But you know, the day that it hits, the earthquake, the hurricane, whatever it is, you really need this kind of uh, uh, communication because a lot of it is going to be down. As we saw with Katrina and Sandy, uh, things just are out, and the things that are left up are overloaded. Uh, and libraries, this is another role for libraries, is to be able to play uh, uh, a role in a disaster scenario as a, as a communications and information hub. Uh, and even just for charging electricity, or, you know, your phone, even if the cell system is up, the lights are out, you have to you know, charge up your, your devices. So uh, that, was, that was another unexpected one, and one we think really has a lot of potential. There's a white space pilot in the Philippines that wasn't set up for this per se, but given the uh, the tragedy that's occurred there, they're now uh, looking to repurpose these uh, white space uh, devices in support of that kind of uh, uh, unpredictable yet uh, inevitable communication need.
2: You never know when you're going to need to communicate, but when you do, you really don't want to mess around. You want something that works
0: if there's a place you could go within walking distance to have access to communication mm-hmm. it just would there, you you you'd pay anything for it
2: well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us uh, about this approach and the white spaces. People like you that that take on these sorts of challenges uh, don't often get the, the sort of recognition that you deserve because somebody has to try out the technology. It's terrific that you've been able to do it with these libraries, and I hope that we see more libraries able to move forward as the technology is commercialized.
0: Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, we think it's the librarians that are the heroes, that are out there every day, providing the widest range of uh, services to to everybody, or rather to anybody, as they say, open to all, and with basically no fees. There's, this is a, this is a social contract that we've made with ourselves, and that the libraries are the ones that are delivering, it, rather than the librarians. Uh, we talk a lot about libraries, and uh, we forget to talk about the people that actually make libraries. And these professionals uh, are they are just at the forefront of so many of our important issues of access, free speech, rights of privacy, and then just being the most accommodating people that uh, anyone is likely to know. And these are the people that really are the unsung uh, people out there. And so our support of them is, uh, is just a small contribution.
2: Well, terrific. Uh, we wish you the best of luck on this. Thanks. You can learn more
1: about the project at giglibraries.net. There's also quite a bit of info at the Whitespaces tag on muninetworks.org. And be sure to check out episode 18 of the Broadband Bits podcast to listen to more on Whitespaces from Dwayne Hendricks. Email us with questions or ideas for the show. You can write to podcast at muninetworks.org. On Twitter, we are at communitynets. Follow us for up-to-date developments in telecommunications. This show was released on December 31st, 2013. Thank you to the group Haggard Beat for their song Laszlo, licensed using Creative Commons. Thank you for listening, and we wish you a happy and peaceful 2014.